Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Monday edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And in the words of a very famous song, where do I begin to tell the story of a fantastic sporting weekend? Okay, the last part about the fantastic sporting weekend is not in the song, but for those of you who are old enough, you will remember where do I begin. Anyway, let's start at the beginning, which is generally a good place to start. And that is at Loftus Fasfeld in Pretoria, shall we? What an amazing atmosphere. Well done to the Bulls franchise. Well done to the people at Loftus. Well done to the majority of the spectators, except for the few that had a bit of an altercation after the game. But we won't talk about that. We'll talk about the game itself, the facilities that were absolutely magnificent. I have not seen Loftus so full almost forever. I can't remember seeing Loftus so full. Most probably when Western Province played Northern Transvaal in the Curry Cup all those years ago. But never mind that. The crowd was into it. The field was in magnificent shape. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Bearing in mind, of course, they don't have rain in winter in Pretoria, but it still was in just beautiful condition for magnificent running rugby. The Australians perhaps didn't realise that the Springboks might get the ball out to the wing. Of course, is why um, man of the match was a winger and uh, a hat-trick of tries for what I will say might be a sort of cheery ending, if you like, because the strength in depth that we have in our team with Kirtley Lawrence starring of the World Cup, but then you've got to remember there's, you know, Cheslin Colby, there's Makazole Mapimpi, um, who I guess most people would say will start ahead of those two. And then there's also, you know, South African rugby selectors. Sometimes, you know, we scratch our heads, but they seem to get it right 99.9% of the time when you think that they might take like somebody like Lukanya Um, move him or, or Esther Hazen, move him to a wing. You never know, Damien Willems are at full, but I don't know what they eventually are going to do. But isn't it wonderful to have such a large array of riches in your selection a dilemma? And I guess all coaches want a selection dilemma, the Jock Ninaba and his Rassi Rasmus have. But let's talk about the game, shall we? Um, got off to a great start by Australia. They pushed the ball around, got an early try, but of Slack defending from the Springboks. But then, oh my goodness, they really got into shape, didn't the Springboks? They ran the ball. It was the first, excuse the pun, dry run ahead of the World Cup. And it was fantastic. So at the end of the day, um, the Springboks came out victorious. The Australians scored a late try. It was 43-5 after the Hooter had blown, and then the Australians scored to make it 43-12. Um, and once again, that unbelievable record that the Springboks have over the Australians at Loftus Fasfeld continues on, maybe for another 60 years, who knows. So it was thanks to uh, Kirtley Orrance, who Eddie Jones, I might say, must be hating the sight of the Springboks, particularly as his new job as the Wallaby coach, because it started off in the same way as his stint with England started off. Now, the box scored six tries, two penalty tries, which the Australians will be clearly wanting to clean up their penalty count. And they used the opening game of the Rugby Championship to get their World Cup year off to a powerful start with a statement. Um, 
and of course, a nightmare start for the Australians. But let me say it right now, the date, the 10th of July, 2023. The only game that I'm interested in is the last game in France. That is the only game that I, as a Springbok rugby fan, am interested in is the last game the Springboks play in France. And hopefully that last game will be in the final and that will be the one they win. These results now against Australia, win or lose, of course, against Argentina. By how many points we might beat Argentina, of course, the All Blacks beat Argentina this weekend as well. Very similar score to the South African-Australian score, I don't think. It means anything. Let's be perfectly honest. It means absolutely nothing. The last game in France is the one where we are going to have to make sure we win. And the way I say it sounds quite simplistic because if our last game in France is not in the final, I'll be disappointed. And if our last game in France is in the final and we don't win, I'll be even more disappointed. But anyway, it was a good performance. There were some areas, of course, which we need to make sure we get better. Like, for example, some of the tapping was a little bit ragged. But it's the first game of the season, and I'm not looking for any miracles. However... Winning becomes a habit, and I would love to be on the winning side against uh, the arch enemy, the arch rivals, the other team in the world that thinks that they are better than us, the All Blacks. So they will face a new look South Africa. We have half the team already there, from my understanding. They're probably sleeping right now while you're listening to this podcast, or I certainly hope they will be sleeping. Having been to New Zealand myself, it is almost impossible possible to get the time difference right in just a day or two, which is why it's a very, very good decision for the Springboks to have sent the majority of the side, I guess, that will play on Saturday early because there's like different time zones and it's horrible. With three o'clock in the afternoon, it's like two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning in South Africa. It is just crazy to try and get the jet lag out of your system. So let's just uh, wrap up the, the rugby and the Springboks fantastic win by saying, well done, South Africa. Now, do it against the All Blacks, then against Argentina, and did our focus concentrate further, of course, on the World Cup itself. We've won the World Cup, a record equaling three times. We're in Pool B with Ireland, Scotland, Romania, and Tonga. Ireland, of course, the number one ranked team in the world. Australia will have to play Wales, Fiji, Georgia, and Portugal. That's a much easier group for them. And then the runners-up qualify for the quarterfinals of the Global Showpiece. The winners and the runners-up, of course, qualify for the Global Showpiece. So uh, that is that. What about the other game you might be asking? Well, I watched it, and they were just far too good. The All Blacks, let's be perfectly honest, they whether they've played against us or not in Super Rugby or any other competitions, um, we will be hoping that uh, they come through the South Africans against the All Blacks. But they did play exceptionally well. As I say, it scored very similar to ours. Away from home in Argentina, a lovely full house in Argentina as well. Uh, 41-12, the Argentinians also scoring late in the game there to make the score look slightly more respectable. In the other rugby at the weekend, great disappointment, I'm afraid, for the baby box, the junior box, knocked out in the semi-final stage, losing to Ireland by 31 points to 12, and France beating England 52-13. That set up the final between France and Ireland in the Under-20 World Cup. It hasn't been a good tournament for the young South African team. And we did, of course, speak to their coach before the tournament. He did mention that it was a young, inexperienced side. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, the guys have learnt a fortune from the tournament. And uh, hopefully they will come out firing 
going forward. Now, talking about coming out firing, have you heard of Tricus Duplessis? Well, Tricus Duplessis, Tricus, I should say, Stolnox Duplessis. Now, for those of you who have ever had sleeping tablets, um, Stolnox is a sleeping tablet. Whether it is in any way linked to his nickname by the fact that he knocks people out, puts them to sleep, I don't know. It might be, it might not be. Um, well, he was in superb form. The underdog he was, and certainly the underdog, not only with the bookmakers, but also with the fans, in very fine fashion on Saturday night, Sunday morning, South African time. He handed Whitaker a very rare KO loss. Duplessis froze Whitaker in place with a nasty punch in the second round and then swarmed over him for the referee to step in and end the fight on a technical knockout. What did upset me a little bit, if you happen to have seen the fight and you are a little bit sensitive, maybe I am a little bit sensitive, I will be honest to that, but some of the language, particularly the racial connotations that um, Mr. Israel had when he was there having a few words um, with uh, Drikus was not acceptable. But anyway, be that as it may, we will pick up on Trickus's career shortly. He will, of course, be fighting in September. We look forward to bringing you updates, and maybe we'll even try and get hold of him to have a chat to him. He is going to fight in Sydney, Australia, when he will hopefully become a world champion. Okay, so what else happened over the weekend that was of interest, you might ask? Well, cricket, yep. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable, this test series um, between England and Australia. It has already, after three test matches, had absolutely everything you can imagine. So, England win. Yep. To keep the series alive, 2-1 now to Australia. It could be 3-0 to England. It could be 3-0 to Australia. Unbelievable. And uh, it was a fantastic reminder that test cricket is alive and well it is just fantastic to see how these two sides are playing the game chris wokes wokes got 32 wood got 16 off eight balls he came out there and just smashed it about there at the end of the match and gave england a victory by three wickets at one stage it looked as though england were going to throw it away like they've done on so many occasions before just to remind you, the highlights of the game in the Australian first innings, that magnificent 100 by Mitch Marsh, 118 of 118 balls. That took them to 263 uh, all out. England then replied, and an 80 from Ben Stokes, once again the star of the England performance. They came up a bit short, 237 all out in only 52 overs. And then a magnificent bowling performance, and thanks to Travis Head, 77, Australia could have been bowled out for far less than 224. They could have been bowled out for like 150, because they did drop Travis Head as well. And then England had to come and score those runs, uh, complete uh, the victory they did it. Uh, Crawley and Duckett got them off to a really good start. Then Mo and Ali came in at number three. Interesting move that by England. Joe Root was out for 21. Harry Brooks was 75, as I mentioned. The cornerstone of that innings. And then at the end of the innings, Wokes and uh, Woods 
the two fast bowlers who injected some real pace, both with the batting and the bowling, into the game came out victorious. England winning the toss, electing to bowl first and coming out victorious. So when is the next encounter between these two sides? I can't wait. I actually cannot wait. And they come thick and fast to do these matches. The fourth test match, the 19th of July, that starts next Wednesday. The 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of July. That is the fourth test between England and Australia. And then the fifth test, of course, from the 27th to the 31st of July. Look forward to those test matches. Right, let's move on now to another event that was taking place in the United Kingdom. They certainly had a very, very busy weekend. And Max Verstappen, yep, another win. That's not surprising because, I mean, he's just winning everything at the moment. Nobody can get close to him. But Lando Norris off the line, led into the first corner, led the first lap in a McLaren that looks like it's got super fuel in it. Unbelievable. Where on earth did they find the time at the beginning of the season? They were pathetic. They were seconds behind. And in Grand Prix motor racing, if you're two seconds behind on a 61-lap race, you're 120 seconds behind. You're like in another planet. Well, 160-plus thousand home crowd had a roar. Over the engines of the 22 cars on the grid, you could hear the roar from the home fans as uh, young Lando Norris took the lead even though it was only for a race. 11 in a row, though, for Max Verstappen. It's the sixth win in a row and eighth in 10 races this season for Max. The double world champion also bagged the fastest lap bonus as well. He's almost four race wins clear of his closest rival and teammate, Sergio Perez, who finished sixth after starting 15th at a terrible, terrible qualifying session on Saturday. It was also Red Bull's first win at Silverstone, believe it or not, since Mark Webber won in 2012 and Norris's podium, a first for McLaren in their home race since Lewis Hamilton also stood on the second step of the podium in 2010. Australian Oscar Piastri was fourth for McLaren after third place went to Lewis Hamilton. His hopes of a first podium were dashed by a late safety car. Britain's George Russell came fifth after a long first stint on soft tyres and Fernando Alonso was seventh in his Aston Martin. Alex Albon continued the resurgence of Williams, a strong showing with eighth ahead of Ferrari Charles Leclerc and last year's winner Carlos Sainz. Ferrari will be desperately unhappy with their weekend coming ninth and 10th. They would obviously have thought um, that they would have done better. Now, the interesting part about Lando Norris is coming second is not just the fact that he came second. It's also he was less than four seconds behind Max Verstappen, which normally in these races, Verstappen is 20, 30, 40 seconds ahead of his nearest rival. So might we see a different winner in the next race? Uh, Who knows? But we keep watching. And we keep hoping. So great performance by Max Verstappen to take the victory. What else has happened over the weekend? Well, um, there's some great tennis going on, isn't there, at uh, Wimbledon. Icosviatek had to save two match points. Elena Svitlina came out victorious in what was a stormy politically charged duel with Victoria Azarenka to set up a Wimbledon quarterfinal showdown. The world number one, Sviatek, beat the Olympic and Swiss lady, Belinda Bencic, 6-7-7-6-6-3. That game was on center court. And on court one, the Ukrainian Svetlina came from a set and a breakdown to defeat the Belarusian. Of course, there's all the politics going on uh, in terms of the war and other issues between those uh, countries, Belarus supporting Russia, who are fighting against Ukraine. 
on the tennis courts, the only rockets they're serving are tennis balls, which is much better than the nonsense that's going on everywhere else in the world. If only we could sort all the world's problems out on the center court at Wimbledon, it would be absolutely fantastic. So lovely stuff as far as the tennis is concerned. And then another game, oh my goodness, was just unbelievable. It had me on the edge of my seat. I was saying to Nick, my producer, I, I had three versions of a TV, a monitor, and a cell phone, all showing great sporting action over the weekend. The seventh seed at Wimbledon, Alex Rublev held his nerve. He beat the Russian-born Kazakhstani Alexander Bublic. Some shots in that game were outrageous. Incredible stuff. Seven five six three six seven six seven six four for Rublev coming through and amazing stuff. The fellow Russian in world number 92, Roman Safflin reached his first Grand Slam quarterfinal. He saw Denis Shapovalov three six six three six one six three, and the young man said that his sudden success won't prompt him to switch to a nicer hotel. He says he's happy where he is. He doesn't need to go to a five-star hotel. He next faces Yannick Sinner, the Italian eighth seed, who beat Daniel Eli Galan of Colombia in straight sets to go through to the next round. The number eight seed is uh, going past Ilan in straight sets. And Ukraine's Lesio Tsurenko was knocked out. She lost 6-1-6-3 to the world number four, Jessica Pagula. Pagula will next take on Marketa Vandrusova, the 2019 French Open runner-up who beat the Czech Maria Buskova in their match at Wimbledon at the weekend. So that continues as well going forward um, with regards to the tennis. Now, golf at the weekend and the Australian Sepp Stracker's bid for a sub-60 final round met a watery grave at the 72nd hole, but he hung on to win the PGA John Deere Classic. Despite closing with a double bogey, the 30-year-old Australian fired a PGA career low of 9 under par 62 to finish the 72 holes on 21 under par 263. Good enough for a two-stroke victory over the Americans, Brendan Todd and Alex Smalley, who just couldn't reach him down the stretch. 62 in a final round. That's the kind of stuff that uh, you'd only dream about, um, because it really is something to behold. Then on the Live Golf Tour, playing in his final event before defending his Open Championship, Cameron Smith survived a closing bogey as well. He won the Live Golf event at the Centurion Club in London. The Australian shot 368 to finish at 15 under a stroke ahead of the American Patrick Reed. That was very good for him at the Ripper Golf Club, beating his teammate Mark Leishman of Australia. What a weekend. What a sporting weekend it was. What a great weekend it promises to be coming forward in this uh, five days' time. We will update you through the course of the week, not only with our great interviews, but also with great sporting news and sporting activities. We wish you a pleasant Monday evening wherever you are. For those of you who are interested, there's been snow in Johannesburg. wonder when last it snowed in Johannesburg. Most probably when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. Maybe that's another good omen. Have yourself a pleasant evening. Keep warm and be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now.